0: you are listening to shades of aba with adrian and tiana except today you guys just have me tiana we also have miss anita lee who will be talking with us today about an article that was released um, in one of the special editions for the behavior analysis and practice miss lee could you go ahead and introduce yourself for us
1: yeah, so thank you for having me, Tiana. So, um I am currently a faculty member at Western Michigan University. So I received my doctorate there and had my masters a couple years back. Um, so I started, you know, with some clinical practice and now I'm currently an academic, so I get to teach some students and, you know, try to incorporate some aspects of diversity and things that are going on in a world that really need to be talked about within our class and, you know, letting them know that their careers, is their classroom or not outside of that. And I don't know how I'm doing with that, but it's something I've been feeling passionate about doing. <laughs> okay,
0: so thank you for joining us. Thank you for being willing to um, have this dialogue. Today, we are discussing your article titled Solidarity, the Role of Non-Black People of Color in Promoting Racial Equity. Let's talk about that. What made you or what called you to write this article?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I've talked about this in some other kind of avenues too, but I, I kind of treat this paper as a product of my own. It was really done for myself. Um, I just had a lot of feelings, and I think I started um, really thinking about these issues, um, you know, around the time that you know, George Floyd was murdered, um, and I just remember. That day when I found out it happened, I just became so overwhelmed and I just got really angry um, at a lot of things in the world, uh, you know, especially my white friends, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and there was sort of this like, oh, well, why are you so upset? I just felt so fed up. Um And I can't imagine, you know, how you might have felt and other people might have felt during that time either. Um, And then around, you know, maybe a couple weeks later, BAP put out that special issue and I was like, I want to submit something, like, because I have a lot of thoughts and I am sort of... I don't know, I don't want to say like annoyed, but maybe disappointed that (laughs) Mm -hmm. the field doesn't really talk about these things. And I'm in a lot of the, I lurk a lot on, you know, the Facebook ABA groups, and sometimes I see some very disappointing comments (laughs) uh, from, Mm -hmm. you know, people in our field, and I'm just like, I I can't believe this, you know, like, um, yes, this has to do with race, but it's so in line with everything we do as behavior analysts and, you know, Mm -hmm. our ethics and our trying to help people, like this is not separate and it's bizarre to me that people can't keep it separate
0: and they try yes and they do try to just say oh no we we can we can only do ABA and 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 teaching the skills or or where us working on ourselves to kind of remove these processes and these biases that we may have no that's not our job we shouldn't be doing that like they're two yeah. separate things i'm not racist and it's just like I mean, yeah, you could possibly like not be racist, but you also have biases that kind of build to that further foundation of the like the disproportionate treatments and then and how you are working with your clients. Like you you need to be able to view these things and to be able to discuss them without taking it personal and also knowing how to put it in behavior analytic terms and practices, which your article like it definitely went through a, quite a few different steps and um you laid out very clear avenues or categories i guess you could say as to what each practice would be which was very very much appreciated if you guys haven't read this article you definitely should go ahead and take a look at it it is a great read it's it's a quick read it's not yeah, something that... a short read <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: an important factor <laughs>
0: But it, but even with it being quick, it's like it has a lot of information and provides a lot of like processes that we could look at just to make it behavior analytic because everyone it has to be behavior analytic in nature. Um, so it 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 does that. And so um, if you w- wouldn't mind going just a little bit more into your processes and everything, yeah. Because-
1: so I guess. Um- the paper was really meant to showcase, you know, like some behavioral conceptualizations for why, you, so my paper kind of focus on non-black people of color solidarity you know, demonstrations. Um, and the reason for that was because, as you know, our field is largely white, and I kind of wanted something yeah. more. <laughs> us, you know, to say, hey, like, this is also something we all can do. And I think oftentimes when you see a lot of, um, you know, early literature in the field, it kind of, it sort of takes this lens of, oh, you're in the majority group, here's some way to you know, think about, like, your minority feelings and so forth. Um, but I wrote this paper, as sort of a sense of, hey, um, <laughs> you know, other people <laughs> of color, like, this is something we also need to be doing. Um, mm. And, again, really reflected in my own experiences and frustration as some um, Chinese American, um, and I'm, you know, a lot of some Asian American communities. And I would also see these just Ridiculous comments about, like, well, I don't really see why Black lives matter, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, why not, you know, because, <laughs> you know, and I use this example all the time that, you know, when I'm in the store um, or if I'm following someone late at night, no one's ever gonna see me, an Asian woman, as a threat. And I think that's mm-hmm. something <laughs> that's really inherent, right, with just my appearance and so forth. And so part of that is, well, no, the struggles are not equal, but also like, you know, currently we have a group and we share a lot of overlap and we have supported each other in the past. Like there's a lot of things that have been done in Asian-American advocacy based off of black liberation movements. And I think that's often lost. And, you know, that could be as a result of um, kind of you know, this sort of censorship in a lot of our um, materials that of course a lot of people don't really address or talk about, right, um, involvement of people of colors and their contributions to advocacy work. So in addition to that, I also outline um, some extrapolations from evolutionary psych to sort of show that, you know, cooperation and working together are not antithetical you know, to selection by consequences or natural selection. Even on a cellular level, right, our cells have to work together to form new things (laughs) and better things. (laughs) And so, you know, same thing with people. And I talk about some different like reinforcement contingencies that can go along with that, with even just negative reinforcement. You don't want to do it because other people will shame you. That's a good start. You can get praised or you can get those outward types of reinforcers, but then you start to move into some more value based actions, um, you know, tied into act and all that stuff and how that sort of sets a lens for future actions in line with those values, too.
0: And I do want to kind of outline just a little bit more specifically as far as your commentary about the negative reinforcement. Um, In this instance, at least in the article from how I interpreted it, you were this commentary kind of bases on the concept of those who are non-Black people of color, if they look more white and they they tend to do their best to be white passing rather than accepting and working like within their culture and their ethnicity and who they are. Is that correct in what you are referring to when you're talking about the negative reinforcement?
1: Yeah, there's definitely that aspect as well. You know, that when you know, we, you know, I live in the Midwest and it's sometimes really obvious here when you're the only person of color. Um, mm-hmm. and part of that is you don't want to be that person to shake things up and, you know, shake up the group dynamic. Um, whereas I used to live in Florida, there was just a much more diverse group there and I never, I didn't feel that pressure as much. Um, so yeah, that assimilation I think is a really big part of why um you see non-black people of color not really engage in solidarity based actions, you know, whether they're aware or not aware of it. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that just within this piece that you you actually like stating that is really key and and should idea hopefully allow people to kind of review their own practices and how they maneuver in the world. Um, Both, yes, of course, within the field, but then just overall um, in their day to day lives, because what we do day to day does come out in how we work. Um, So I do I just I appreciate that you put that as one of the factors of why there is time to time that limit with the solidarity and between cultures and people of color. So thank you for putting that out there.
1: (laughs) Okay. Something um, I thought about just, like, as I was making coffee was um, I do think that when you see, you know, I think at least I could, you know, just speaking from an Asian perspective, there are a lot of, you know, the folks that are here are immigrants and, you know, they just immigrated over. And I think that intersectionality between, like, being, you know, a person who immigrated over and then also trying to do their best to assimilate into American culture in society I think that really had a huge impact on when I see these sort of conflicting sort of lack Mm -hmm. of support for other people of color right there's you know I've known family members that came over to you know from China because it was such an oppressive place right sort of in the sense of like they're almost like refugees but you know throughout different means and avenues but when you replace that with any other group they're sort of I don't know, upset at that fact. Like, oh, well, we shouldn't let them in. But I'm like, well, you, you were let it, you know, like
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> for <a> similar <laughs> you're reason. are also not from
1: here. Yeah, you're not from here and you wanted to come to America to escape, you know, some sort of oppressive system or other aspects right? or enhance your quality of life. Yet, I think it's a really interesting, um, I don't know if it's like a denial, <laughs> but right, when, when they're in and now they're, you know, they have their green card, they're citizens, all of a sudden the stance, is it Actually, very compassionate to who they used to be? <laughs>
0: I, I wonder that sometimes, like, is there, no, I'm sorry, listeners. This is not like an ABA realization or wonder, <laughs> but I do wonder from time to time, like, do people think about that part? Mm. Like the situations that you were once in and that you come from, why does that, why is that not taken into consideration as your? Growing and developing in an entire like in a new environment so that you can have some empathy, so that you can have some compassion, so that you can have that, like where does that go now? Once, you know, you have the status or the standard or the the opportunities that you were looking for. Why does it change once once you get there? Just right. my own little tidbit of wonder, I guess you yeah. could say.
1: <laughs> you know rft talks about perspective taking and that as sort of a skill set so i wonder if it's related to that that it's really a lack of perspective taking where you're like well mm-hmm. that's different <laughs> well not really no, it's, it's not it's really not, that different it's, it's all the
0: same <laughs> i don't know it's it's very interesting um the, the whole concept of race and the separations and solidarity and just equity and like it's all a very interesting concept because in general, I think all humans like we all want to be treated fairly. We all want to be treated like like we're human. It's so I use it's interesting a lot, but it's interesting. <laughs> it it is, is interesting how we want these things for ourselves but we're not always willing to give it to others. Mm-hmm. And you have this like disproportionate like balance um within day to day and then also within how we with how we practice, um, in the considerations that we make. So like, for instance, um, when George Floyd, and I've said this on a previous episode, when George Floyd, when he was killed and all of the responses were happening, I had the opportunity to kind of give feedback to my supervisor because her response was, I hope everyone's okay through the riots. Oh, God.
1: I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> Well, sure. But <laughs> but
0: and, and that was and I, I sat on it for a second and I said, no, you're going to respond to this, Tiana, because you are one of two black BCBAs that work with her. One of five that work for this company in the state. Wow. So you're going to respond because if she can't identify, you know, the, the concerns and the issues for what they are, then we don't need to talk about it. I addressed it. She, oh, I didn't want to say the wrong thing because it's a work email. Then don't say anything at all if you're not going to address the behavior for what the behavior was that led to these following consequences. And then in turn, one of my um co-workers, she says, you know, I have a client who is um he's older, he's starting to drive, he's out in public. Should I be teaching him these things? Mm -hmm. Everyone else white no you don't have to I met this client and yeah. like and I don't think any of them had met this client before I had and I instantly said oh no 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 you definitely teach him how to respond and how to behave and what to look for because the his triggers were not very clear so and he was a very tall large stature African-American teen. All we needed is for him to have some kind of like trigger in an episode for it to be. And we're in Texas, okay? Like, yeah. Texas <laughs> is not Black friendly. I'm no. sorry. Like, it's not. So, all we needed was for him to have some kind of trigger. And then here we go. Mm-hmm. And being able to have that dialogue with her kind of helped open the eyes of everyone else that I was working with. For that moment, it didn't last very long. There was no continual practice within mm. how should we, um, how do we practice? How do we teach? What What is best for our clients? Because then it became again about, oh, this is race and it's not, it's not important to our field and where it is it is because it is making this is a factor of who our clients are, who our people are, who our staff are, our students, like we sh- they should be able to look at the whole picture and not try to, you know, pinpoint just one factor of them and of of an individual also pinpointing how our behaviors are may affect how we're in, engaging and interacting with not just the clients that we work with, but our staff, like we tend to um, behave quite differently with people who are different than us. How is that affecting the overall relationship and dynamic in our own like expectation or even like, what are we putting off to them? Are we encouraging them to be welcomed and to, be, to, to continue to be practitioners, like good practitioners within the field? Like how, how does that um, aid and assist? I feel like I just went off on a tangent. And no,
1: I'll- it actually <laughs> made me think of a lot of cool things. Uh, no, I agree with you. You know, I'll address a couple of things you said. I think when white colleagues <laughs> want to express, you know, some sort of solidarity-based message, I do think that you're right. There's sort of there's sort of certain messages that really show solidarity versus others that are kind of refocus on other things, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know about that, <laughs> you know. And it's, and I, I think you know, based on the fact that you were brave enough to address that, it when you're, you know, truly in that minority when when your other colleagues don't really see that same perspective or feel the same way as you, it's, it can feel a little bit diminishing you know when you're okay. upset like this is your people this is real events tied to you know experiences you've had and you see these kind of like well let's just hope everyone's safe or you know let's just do it in a quieter way it's kind of like okay it's like a weird shows showing of like you know like you, oh you want to be supported, but it's not it's like a backhand mm-hmm. right <laughs> And that is, um. so I, I before I had um, this full time position, I adjunct in a lot of different universities. And so, what that also mm-hmm. meant was I got a lot of university responses. And there were some very progressive universities that, right when it happened, boom, an email sent out, like, this is horrible. We're like committed to sort of And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then I've seen other institutions that like sat on it for like three weeks and then said, That's sent really out- long. Yeah, and then you know, they, then they send out this very like polished email that doesn't really say anything because they don't want to offend anyone. And I'm like, well, what was the point of that? You know, you mm-hmm. there was just some sort of pressure to say something, but you didn't really you said something by not saying anything, <laughs> in essence. And then, um, based on your point about clients, it was I I just actually thought about I never I had these two clients and I talk about them separately, but now I'm actually comparing them. Um, so I worked with some students with, you know, emotional impairment and kind of conduct disorder. I worked with um one gentleman. They're about the same age actually. One gentleman who is black, um, and he kicked a police officer in school, right? So he had some behavioral issues. They charged him. Um, they charged him. Um, I, I I don't remember, I don't know the specific details of it, but they did charge him and he went to our school as sort of like <laughs> while that was in process. Um he had, you know, he was from a single family. Um, his mom worked all the time; she was a single parent. Um, and it was just, you know, seeing his success was really exciting because he really tried. But then they moved him back into these public school systems that didn't really have the support in place, and you saw a lot of regression. And I don't know, you know, how he's doing now, It's been a few years now. Um, and then at the same time, I had a white client who had similar issues, and he also kicked a police officer. No charge, you know, they sort of said, Young man, you, you can't do this, right? Yep. <laughs> um, his parents were, you know, he had both his parents, and they just sort of were like, We want to, you know, pay and do whatever we can to fix this situation, right? And just thinking of that, two illustrations like, you have one child that really couldn't get as much support just financially, mm-hmm. you know, we could do what we did through the district. And then we had this other s- system where you know, doing the same thing but not the same consequence, and then also so much more resources and attempts to help this person. And I mean, that's practice, right? That's our practice right there, and also ties into the systemic factors that we always hear about.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to bring those contrasts to us, to like from a firsthand experience of something you were able to observe occur, because I think many times we we don't really think about like those kind of extremes, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't experience it. So um, we're, we're, or a lot of times, most people are working with like the little itty bitties, like the yeah. little babies and so you're not even, oh no, they're gonna be, they're gonna be so great, so fine, you know, but we do have that though, we do have that age bracket or those individuals who are more behavioral, who have, who are more challenging and to see and understand the dynamics there. Um, And that's really unfortunate that even with a diagnosis of any kind and being able to identify that the response was likely from um, their diagnosis and to still have very different consequences, but the same behaviors being exhibited, it shows a, a lack of consistency within that system and like the very inherent, like because I don't know the full story. I don't want to necessarily say the race played a part, but it's also hard to not say that it doesn't play a part. Right. <laughs> within that. Okay. <laughs> like because it all it also reminds me, I had um a client who great kid lots of emotional responding, had difficulties in school. Now, it just so happened that this school had, um, that the, every so often the police would come through the school just so that um, the students would be familiar with them. And this child went from really liking being in school, liking the class, come to, to his sessions, like voicing like, um, ha- like how he was feeling, about being in school until one day it completely changed right just thin air like Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until he started saying she called the police on me she called the police on me Mm -hmm. and the teacher defended herself in stating I didn't call the police they were already there and I'm just like okay so we're looking at a kid who is younger but also has some emotional, like some, some deficits in emotional intelligence. Some deficit is also um, autistic. Um, has some, some deficits, like just cognitively as well, right? He behaves in one way that you are not pleased with because you don't have the, the patience or the support, whichever one, the the understanding of how to work with him. He has his behavior. The police arrive what do you think he's going to interpret from that you called the police on him and so her it's not even funny it was really frustrating like why like having the conversation with her in a during a parent-teacher like the um it wasn't a parent-teacher conference it was is so it's when they're trying to determine so he had a lot of suspensions and they're trying to oh, determine okay. what the behavior is based on his diagnosis okay <laughs> So I can't, I don't recall what the, the title of that meeting is, but during this meeting, like she was just very like, I'm the adult, I'm right. I don't like, I don't owe him anything. And <laughs> it was like, I mean, yeah, you're, you're the adult, but also you hurt his feelings because, and he also doesn't understand the connection of, yes, the police are already in the school you know, and to just not, to see the the disconnect on her face, was just made me very, it, it saddened me because this is a person who children have to depend on to learn, right. to engage, and it was really unfortunate. <laughs> it was so unfortunate.
1: Yeah, so. no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, where I mean, it's even just the discrepancy of right uh, when you're in the majority, when you're in schools or just talking to people, right, the little introvert of, oh, who do you call when you need help? And everyone's like, the police, like, (laughs) yay, you know. Yeah, some people see a huge (laughs) sense of relief when they see police officer, but for a lot of people, that's not the same, right? And if anything, it's it's, it's fear. Yeah, it's an exasperating experience that, right, really Mm -hmm. escalates that fear and that trauma. And I think you're right that you know, a teacher who's really meant to teach a heterogeneous population and diverse student body doesn't really understand that, right? And I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not in a teacher's program, but I, to my understanding, don't, it doesn't seem like that's something that's taught. You know, the for diversity there's more sort of like, well, you know, people with different backgrounds and it's everyone, you know, it's great. <laughs> but, you know, we have racist teachers, <laughs> you know, we have racist teachers. Um, and it's, you don't really hear about, right, how systemically overall, like education's committed anti racist actions because education was really founded on racism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> education was for majority members, for white kids, it wasn't for black kids. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, you start to see that progression, but that wasn't that long ago. It <laughs> was like it, in the 60s and or 70s.
0: And it's phenomenal how people don't realize that it wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. like it, it was pretty recent like my mom is part of that category um, mm-hmm. of within that time frame my grandmother and they're not old okay let's get I'm sorry let's let's go <laughs> back to your piece of uh, could you go ahead and kind of define for us what you view or how you wrote about solidarity like what did you identify that as?
1: Yeah, so I think in terms of how identified solidarity was really just behaviors that were meant to support one another regardless of right which minority group you're in. Um, and also not being reflective of like assimilated white cultural actions, I suppose. And so, you know, this could be as simple as just um, not saying that black lives don't matter, or even, you know, just talking about, you know, part of the assimilation aspect, um, just being ignorant of it and saying, oh, that's not really about me or, you know, that's not really relevant to me. You know, I'm not black and I'm not white, but it is, it's really part of that whole view. Um, And part of my attitude towards the whole thing is that, well, I do feel that, you know, regardless of what group you're in you should be supportive right loudly um especially for the group that's currently hurting <laughs> you know um and that's all it is it's right your your friend gets hurt you say oh I'm really sorry that you're hurt <laughs> you know it's the same we teach little kids and you those provide
0: things. that support and you yeah do those those steps to show that you are present and willing to support and be there Exactly. Uh, and I like how within the um, article, you one of the behaviors that you identified was just how we how individuals just engage naturally within their home. And you mm-hmm. identify like the linguistic, mm-hmm. um, the linguistics or the conversations that people have within their home in like in the comfort of the, those that they are familiar with. Um, For instance, you stated um, the use of um, like in the Cantonese language, the use Mm -hmm. of like the term black ghost versus the actual phrasing of what it means for a black person. Mm -hmm. And just how those terms just very much reflect very different thought processes of a person Mm -hmm. and just encouraging um, people that when they're having those just natural, common conversations, to be aware as to how are we speaking of others, whether it is about um, a black person or an Asian person or a Hispanic person, just being very aware as to what are we, how are we talking about them, um, and to encourage others around us to be more positive in how we're reflecting and having in that dialogue. So yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's you know like like your your home language I mean part of that still teaches right those people as they become adults and they're sort of this I don't want to use the word implicit, but right, this sort of underlying bias already, right? And these are just children that are learning that. And, you know, a lot of that starts to become bigger things. um, And right, and then just, you know, generally, this sort of negative attitude towards a particular group, or, you know, for a reason, and you start to see those contrasts as well. And I think that's a big part of it that people don't realize that racism isn't just you know you're going to clan meetings and you know there's a lot of little behaviors like that but cumulatively when you know it's your generational family's actions right or then when it's your societal actions it really adds up and contributes to larger issues at hand and then you have these bias legislation you get bias policies bias treatments in school and with clients you know and so forth and i i you know, I think it I think it's very difficult for us to not be biased, but just sort of pointing out how these things can also contribute so that people are maybe hopefully more aware of them and maybe more sensitive to how they use language and, you know, listen to language and what language they're accepting of,
0: too. I know for me, I haven't had to, like, redirect any instances of, like, um, conversation within race but I have had to redirect some amongst some like my swords and my family about just how they identify and label like using like that ableistic terminology um and like so much so that some people know they're like don't go there with Tiana like she will <laughs> she will cut you down like she's not going to do this and like I had um a family member during the holiday who i was talking about my job to another family member. And this family member is older. Um, I say this with some love attached, but just within reality mm-hmm. from a very like old ignorant mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay, He wanted to like, he was using all, all the words that you just don't use. And I looked at him and I said, one, I'm not talking to you. Two, we're not having this this conversation right now if you will not respect the, the population of people I'm referring to. And he just kept egging and egging. And I'm like, <laughs> you're too old for this. I'm not having this conversation. Like, We're not doing this right now. And he thought that it was a joke. And I was like, I'm done. I had to walk away because I'm. you're going to respect whomever you're talking about when you're talking to me, regardless of if it's, Race, if it's a diagnosis, if it's like how their ability, if it's their education, I don't care. You're gonna respect it because they're human. They're a person, and they deserve that. And he just gets going. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not no. So people need to definitely like be comfortable in being able to do that and just enforcing and encouraging like respect and and having that positive mindset about the people that we're discussing whether it's family, clients, friends, whomever.
1: Right. And part of that is, you know, it is scary, right? Especially if it's, you know, not a family member, it's a supervisor, it's a colleague. That's something the paper talks about is like, you kind of need to offer that direct consequence too. Whereas in the past, right? saying those things probably got some laughs and agreement and, you know, it's, it's offline, but nowadays it's not acceptable, and I think you know Skinner mm-hmm. talks about that with verbal behavior that, you know, the community will shift and change, right, and so well, what we're going to punish will shift and change too, and, you know, this is no longer acceptable language. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question. Um, so, kind of on the topic, since you were talking about sort of disability terms and so forth, um, I was just teaching a class on this, and just looking at the literature in terms of how, you know, people use certain phrases and even like perspectives of like, you know, identity first versus disability. Like it's changed so much in the last, mm-hmm. um, like not even a decade. Um, but you know, it was a huge shaft lesson. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that <laughs> isn't too provocative, but sometimes it's difficult when you talk about these topics. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kind of I call it in a sense of white advocacy in my paper. Do you think that when advocacy takes on the form of the larger majority support, or like those are the people that are sort of arguing for that change, do you feel that you see greater change as opposed to you know the existing groups of you know, people of color that have been sort of advocating for those things that
0: are maybe not heard as much, unfortunately, yes, I think that and I and I, if you kind of outline it a little bit in your paper, but I think that white people listen to white people <laughs> okay like that's 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 the best way to put it, mm-hmm. and when you have those larger group of white people who are advocating for um, the changes to put better systems in place for minorities, at times, or most times, likely to see some work happening. Whereas even if you have different minority groups that are doing a lot of hard work, a lot of like great work, they tend to get a lot more pushback because then it's like, well, why is it that this matters over that matters? Or why is it that, um, for instance, BABA. BABA mm-hmm. is a great example, right? Black mm-hmm. Applied Behavior Analysts Incorporated. The organization was created to help fuel and support Black behavior analysts. There was so much just negative feedback about the, the inception of the organization oh, wow. and, and even the conference so much negative like this is racism this is that and it's like oh because well, it's racist this against is... white people <laughs> and if you go to the like if you go to the website you would learn that like we're not saying that if you're white or not black that you can't be a part of this organization right we, we have though created a space for those who identify as black and African-American to feel safe, to have the learning opportunities. And that I think is like a a great example of minorities trying to do the work in the the backlash versus if- um, The women in Behavior
1: Analysis Conference,
0: right? Or white women. Yes, if they they say, we're gonna do this, we're gonna support this issue, this cause, Mm -hmm. there's no backlash. Mm -hmm. there's no there's there there people are like yes we're right on it we're on the horse too let's go and so yes to answer that question yes yeah I will say it's really unfortunate I am I'm
1: glad that our field is sort of going through a little bit of a you know, evolution in that I think it's starting to value some more diverse voices. I think, you know, Bible forming is a great thing. And I think seeing more of like the special issues that you're seeing, it's actually kind of fun. You're seeing more types of last names, right, in those publications <laughs> yes. that kind of indicate yes. different backgrounds. and so That's <laughs> been nice because it's actually, you know, I've been in this field, you've been in this field, and I hadn't actually known a lot of behavior analysts of color, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so this was sort of a way where I did get in touch with some, you know, folks. I was on a panel, Denisha. I was, like, oh, this is like so cool, and like they're all saying things I thought and no, and I never said before, and so that was kind of a fortunate thing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right in that, you know, feel our, our field psychology, you know, whatever, um, it's not specific to ABA, is largely white, and so part of that too is it can be difficult to see the types of advocacy and work that would be really meaningful. You know, like statements are great. Um, but what <laughs> actions are you taking? yeah exactly. what are you practicing
0: in your day-to-day life? What are you right like, what does your social media look like? So Yeah.
1: And that's so. even something like, you know, even with social media, I, I often would, you know, we post like, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff or just kind of highlighting those issues and I've had colleagues that are like, oh, you know, I support Black Lives Matter, but I'm just kind—I'm of, just too scared to say it. And I was like, what? Why? I, even, I even thought of that. I was like, why? And, you know, their fear is what other people might think, right? That, and so I'm like, oh, so there's sort of this inherent negative connotation with that. that oh, have you supported? You're a rioter? I don't know what exactly the connotation is, but I'm like, it's—it's it's really not a provo- it a provocative thing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> In when there Supporting. was a lot of the yeah the, when there was a lot of attacks on um you know Asian Americans because of COVID and I, it's kind oh. of this is this is like a <laughs> black lie. humor thing I'm like it's kind of funny that it was Asian American attacks because obviously people wanted to target Chinese people but they couldn't tell who's who so right so it turned out to be Asian American because they yeah, couldn't tell it was Chinese versus <laughs> Japanese or Vietnamese um. But you know when people are sorry, Diana's <laughs> losing it. <laughs> but you know when people were saying stop AAPI hate, nobody said anything about that. They're like, oh, that's reasonable. Right? But then when it was Black Lives Matter, they're like whoa, 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 that's this is we shouldn't make this about race. And Hold I'm like, why? Right. Yeah, you know people are dying. <laughs> you know, and they're like, well, he shouldn't have resisted the officer. And I'm like that's our worth no. shooting for you know no not at
0: all Like mean, there's a lot of techniques that that if I a five foot black woman can de-escalate a situation with know, what's the tallest the I don't know like I'm short so yeah, anything's like six, over five or tall. something yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can de-escalate a situation from like with with a, with an individual, then the police officers should be able to, if they are not capable of doing so, need to recognize that they, I need to develop this skill because my first instinct should not be to pull a gun. Right. You know, I need to I need to develop it here.
1: And children are, you know, black children die. Like how much of a threat are you perceiving, you know, 15 year olds to be to have to pull a gun and use a gun, not just pull a gun? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I <laughs> I know world. I can go back to that, but I mean I think it's I think part of my frustrations too is with some of our practitioners and clinicians that really just Compartmentalize those factors that I, I'm, I guess I'm really trying to illustrate. Like these are, you know, we talk about like, well, when the behaviors escalate in schools, police officers are called. Um, you're supposed to be doing parent training or training staff or educators, right? And I don't see how those are separate. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. I mean, you know, it certainly mm-hmm. is uncomfortable. It can be a difficult conversation. And it could be even difficult because maybe you know they're not from the same group or they haven't had much exposure to that. But it's if you're sort of just ignoring those factors, right? That's that's pretty ignorant from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's it's, no it's cultural a, sensitivity there.
0: None at all, and it's a huge disservice, like massive. Mm. So within the you know we're talking about the different um, or we've talked about just different experiences that we have had personally and like indirectly, but firsthand Um, and just overall conversation on solidarity and how and what that should look like. And so within your article, you um, gave some very like clear actionable behaviors, like some very just clear behaviors to what people can do to engage in solidarity or to help strengthen the I don't know boundaries or like mm-hmm. within the, the different the, the relationships the different cultural relationships mm-hmm. would you want to go through that for us a little bit yeah you know so some of these
1: I think aren't very revolutionary but just the kind of pinpoints of different stuff that people could do or um right, in, in the interests of like diversity representation, we'll actually go to talks by bipoc, you know, listen to this podcast, I guess if you are, then good job, <laughs> but pass it along, <laughs> you know, like things like that I think help to facilitate right if if you know if we want Baba to continue on and get more power within the field, right, join Baba, you know, help you know, volunteer if you have the time or even if you're a member of the dues can help, right, financially. Um, something i try to do within the context of, like, training and coursework is being more sensitive to who I'm reporting, you know, whose research am I highlighting and looking at those backgrounds and topics, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a big part of it, too, is that there are, you know, Academics that are not white, and sometimes they do really interesting areas of research. You know, part of that is highlighting that because if you highlight the same, you know, Skinner article for the program, like, well, we really no one's learning. learning. Yeah, it's the same background, we're not really seeing that dynamic change. Um, let's see what else I'm looking at. Oh, and the other big one that's I think the hardest thing is really identifying those anti-racist actions like within those around you organizations right and you know anti-racist at this point is right we're we're speaking out against it we're not being complicit we're not trying to dance around and make everyone feel comfortable it's well are there actually actionable steps that this group Takes or supports, or is it a group that really just tries to avoid all of that? You know, part of that is, well, that's not really helping further that agenda. It's not going to help you as a person within that organization to, right, develop your own anti racist repertoire. Um, And I think that's probably the scariest one. (laughs) But, you know, I start to see even now, like, there's definitely some groups that are more active and more committed, and, right, hopefully we can support those and put them in power eventually that, you know, hopefully they're, you know, the policy makers and changers and so forth to help support that. But if it's always status quo, then it's always status quo. (laughs) And nothing changes at that
0: point. Right. (laughs) Just kind of you're, you're at a plateau. There's no, no growth, no decrease, just a plateau. And I think what's important for a lot of people to just, consistently here is that because someone is pro one thing doesn't mean they're anti another category right it, it means you're pro and you're for and you're supporting that that category that caused those people mm-hmm. um unless it's racism then there's no <laughs> <laughs> there's right not one is either or yeah either or um I'm just, you know, being willing to, folks need to be willing to step out of that comfort zone. Like one of the, um, you identify like direct and indirect uh, reciprocity within mm-hmm. your article. And one of those direct pieces that you, um, one of those direct activities that you labeled was participating mm-hmm. in like um, different trainings and continuing education units and that's an uncomfortable thing if you're the, if you're used to being the majority and now you're mm-hmm. participating in these um events and you're the minority and be okay with that. Be okay with the differences that, that the uncomfortable feelings that will arise because you don't, we don't learn from just always being comfortable. We have to right. experience that discomfort. We have to experience that awkwardness so that we can, identify why does this make me feel awkward or why is it making me uncomfortable what can I do to become okay with these like with these learning opportunities um but I think a lot of times people behavior analysts everyone like we shy away from that uncomfortableness and which Mm. also then like for our own growth would then causes us to shy away from those uncomfortable conversations that we have to have with right. staff, with parents, um, if the clients are capable of having those those conversations too, like then with clients, and that in itself is a disservice. Yeah. So. Yeah,
1: I think that point about discomfort is really true, and I think that's one of the biggest barriers is people are really afraid to, you know, start participating and you know being more overt in their actions because they're afraid they're gonna mess up and they don't want to offend anyone um and like you know i understand that because it is really uncomfortable you of course don't want to hurt someone but i think part of that too is once you start you're gonna stumble you know but i think it does help to build a sense of like resiliency where like you know i when i wrote that when I wrote this paper i felt really <laughs> kind of embarrassed and flustered because I'm like Oh, I, I might be really like missing the mark here. And the reviewers were awesome and they really helped me a lot with like some of the wording and reading, you know, and things like that. Um, but I felt like I learned a lot from that experience too, from that correction and saying, Hey, that's actually mm-hmm. not quite true or you know, actually, you know, check this out instead and I felt yeah, it was uncomfortable for me in the moment, like Throughout this process, but I really valued it because otherwise I wouldn't have learned that. You know, I would have never known that because I never would have tried.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so I. From good stuff comes growth. Exactly. And, you know, I hope some people recognize that. What's been a struggle for me, though, is looking at growth versus just performative actions. And that's been. You know, because obviously you probably noticed in the field this has been a really big topic and you're seeing lots mm-hmm. of people do all this cool stuff, but sometimes it's like not mm-hmm. all the way. You're like, oh okay. You know, it's, or a it's only for that or
0: it's or it's only for that little tidbit, like just that yeah. just that moment in time. Right. Or, yeah. So there is that that performative action that is pretty Yeah. A very interesting little tidbit. Um to keep from coming off as performative or to encourage because you are within um you are you are teaching. How do you encourage your students or if are you only teaching or do you also are you also supervising? Um
1: Um, I supervise to some extent. Like I, I have some graduate instructors I supervise as well. Um, and yeah, so for me, I've been really fortunate in that like I did decide, like, yeah, I'm gonna incorporate these topics in my classes. You know, I teach general psychology, I, I put diversity into an assessment class because I'm like, well, that's you know there is a sort of diverse aspect to when you're assessing bright families of different backgrounds. Um, and, you know, I try to have these conversations, but like I said, I teach in the Midwest, so <laughs> my students are <laughs> largely white, and often as we talk about those things, it is a very uncomfortable, like, no one wants to say anything, sort of out of that mm-hmm. fear and discomfort. But I do try to sort of model and say, like, you know, I'm really scared to talk about these things, too, because I don't want to offend someone, right? And so, and I'm constantly reflecting, I guess, when I incorporate these things, like, um how will this, you know, serve the students? Also, you know, am I treating my students differently based on certain backgrounds? Am I, you know, facilitating others? And I've been really fortunate to that. I don't know this, I don't know this is sort of a coincidence, but it's been serendipitous that most of my graduate instructors personally have been people of color. (laughs) And so we're on the same page. You know, when I told my site team shout out to them if they're listening that hey i want to incorporate some anti-racist stuff they were like yes i'm so excited to yeah and you know, i learned a lot from them because they have different backgrounds and they do different work in this era and i'm and i kind of feel really lucky to do that whereas i hear of some other faculty trying to do these things and oftentimes it doesn't go as well where you know maybe mm.
0: the you faculty member
1: yeah, or um, they sort of just do it not quite right. Like I heard of one faculty who tried to broach the topic, but they they would sort of force the only minority member to like speak on all their experiences. I'd <laughs> be like, "What do you think? What do you think?" No. Which is like, yeah, that's like, oh no, that's not <laughs> quite the way you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, so you kind of hear of some of those things and. You know, and what's also difficult, too, I'm an academic, but I'm very new in my career, and so there are those power imbalances where I haven't been in the situation yet. I just hear of them happily, but, you know, if I'm in that position where an older, tenured faculty member makes these mistakes, like, I feel very uncomfortable correcting them because then I'm like, oh, that's my future, right, at stake, and it's the same – Kind of your discomfort thing that you talk about. <laughs> then like, oh, they're gonna fire me or they're gonna
0: <laughs> that is really unfortunate that even because you're in a space where you're teaching other people and who have to learn that those that are teaching are not willing to learn as well. Like mm-hmm. kind of like correction, especially with being a Like we work on correcting and providing feedback. Right. Yeah. So as an instructor as a person in academia, like you should be able to take take that back and just say, okay, well, I need some correction. I need to grow here. I need to, you know, accept it and let's kind of move forward and be great. But right. It's, <laughs> it's not taking that way. It's I know what I'm talking about. And it's like Yeah. yeah. But or that person you know, wasn't
1: offended and you're like, oh, well, they might have
0: been <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're wrong there, but
1: okay. So I just wanted to bring up this point, too, to sort of illustrate how deep-rooted these issues are. Um, I have a colleague who start, was trying to promote some diversity in, you know, their field um, in college, and they, they were trying to start a scholarship, basically, to help recruit minority members into their area, and they are legally not allowed to do so per Michigan legislation. And I guess um, I might be over it. Really? You know, Mr. Aber- yeah. So... Um, I guess affirmative action is illegal in like 10 or so states and we're one of them. Uh, The story is a white woman did not get into Michigan State or whatever, so she sued them. (laughs) And now we lost affirmative action. Um, But what this meant was, you know, as this person was trying to set up like the scholarship fund for the purposes of like recruiting minority members, um, the university was just basically like, well, you, you can't really do that or like use any of that language you know like like you so what they ended up having to do was sort of use other like correlates to minority you know folks like first generation type of things but mm-hmm. they couldn't actually explicitly say it's like sort of for the purposes of recruiting multicultural students within this area so then I'm like you know like that's oppressive legislation
0: right yes. what is int- I'm, from, I'm I live in Texas but I'm from Michigan Okay. Never knew that affirmative action had become illegal. Yeah, you just taught me something. Yeah,
1: and that it's is- it's weird because we do have an office of institutional equity here at our university, and they will show you the reports. Like, this is what the average makeup is, and yours is not at that. But it's mm-hmm. you also can't really say like we want a black faculty member either, <laughs> you know. So it's a okay. weird like. So I, it's it's almost like a weird. You have to be like underground to sort of to, you know use the right language I mean, to sort of be like hey tiana like that we might be hired you know to sort of recruit that way
0: <laughs> wow that's unfortunate
1: yeah and then another thing too is when i was applying for faculty jobs um, i have a lot of colleagues that are international students you know they come over here from different places and they want to be academics at the university um, I read at one, and my I have a colleague that confirmed this, they said that if you're, you know, basically if you need a visa to teach and work here, you have to be, oh gosh, what was the exact wording? Like extraordinarily more qualified than the current applicants. So it's not even you have to be just as qualified, car. you have to be way more qualified than the natural, you know, applicants to be considered. And I'm like, that's so sad. Yeah, my colleague said they wanted to um, hire a um, a faculty member from—I don't remember where she was from—but a a different country, and the university was basically like, "No, the other person's good enough." You know, even though they're not first rank, but they don't have to fund their visa. right he, he, and that's and it makes sense why you look at the background and of and, and makeup of aww. academia why we always
0: talk about why is it not diverse
1: well oh, that's <laughs> part of it
0: <laughs> that just like gave me chills like that is frustrating right because it doesn't it doesn't help anyone like regardless of what what field you're in mm. it, it doesn't help if you're only learning from one perspective right and that oh that's disgusting
1: I know and you know like it's also kind of strange that like, you can recruit faculty who specialize in diversity but then that also kind of you know not every minority member wants to specialize in diversity that's right. not a lot of emotional labor to
0: like yeah exactly Focus on that not, no one wants that at all
1: yeah so being in academia has given me a lot of insight for why we have some of these issues too and I'm and it's it's sad you know I see this and I'm like oh like I have a lot of you know female colleagues of color from other countries and I sort of know that they're not set up for success if they want a job here (laughs) because of just that like I don't know the difficulty in getting work visas and the fact that a lot of institutions seem to not want to deal with it you know like I don't I don't know exactly the monetary parameters around that but you know money speaks obviously
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. so how (laughs) would you like for those that are listening how would you that are not um u.s born citizens how would what would you say that their needs would need to be in order to like things that they could do to kind of help with that or so that they would be eligible? I mean, other than... Be extraordinary. Yes. Other than being extraordinary and changing legislation, but like
1: how or how would... I will probably say, um, I think maybe networking is one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, You know, networking with different faculty in different departments, right? Um, There seems to be a lot of behind the scenes stuff where people do like do favor candidates or maybe will try to advocate on their behalf. And, you know, if you have people that are willing to do so, right, they can use their privilege and power to do that for you. And I think, you know, that's really something to not feel ashamed about, right? The systems in place aren't set up, you know, they're set up to be oppressive in some instances and right in terms of equity. Well, some of us need that boost and advocacy from our peers mm-hmm. who maybe are part of majority members. And so I do think that, um, sense of networking and really just um, establishing your presence either in the field, at conferences, at different organizations, that sort of helps with that word of mouth of, oh, we really want, you know, the X particular person. <laughs> um, I think that could help with the um, li- likelihood of obtaining a academic
0: position in the U.S. too. Thank you for giving that tidbit. Um, networking is definitely... To come back to the article is also part yeah. of <laughs> if you did identify, um, mm-hmm. as far as like building that, being able to build, um, and work on the solidarity. and I'm sorry, and it, I queued in on it because that is actually the page that is out right now that <laughs> talks about the network selection. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, even though we're currently talking about academia like it cues into that as well. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, have there been? Or are there any other cues or suggestions other than like you identify direct and indirect reciprocity, um, network selection and overall like group selection Mm -hmm. as um, actionable steps to take to like enact to work through and encourage solidarity. Were there any other, since writing this article, have there been any other uh, steps or cues or anything that you would identify?
1: Um, I think I don't think I really have it in the paper, but something I've been doing <laughs> or that I've been noticed that's unhelpful is um, just being vulnerable and, you know, you can express your discomfort or uncertainty at doing things because, you know, with sort of that network and group selection, right, when you're with like-minded people or if you're working with like-minded people on the same values and vision. Um, when I find that I am vulnerable and I tell people, I don't really know how to do this or is this the right way to phrase it, I get a lot of really great feedback. And also, mm-hmm. it's really encouraging when, you know, your peers and colleagues are also like, you know, that makes me nervous too, right? And so you don't really feel like... So it's, it's empowering in some sense to know that, you know, throughout right your own struggle, it's always going to be a personal um, struggle too. But I think expressing that vulnerability really helps to at least get some um, clarity that it it's not an alone feeling, and you also get mm-hmm. some emotional support because, like you said, it is a lot of emotional labor. You know, you there's a checklist of things we should do, but we're gonna stumble or do things will arise, language changes. You know, who knows what else? Um, and so, part of that really dynamic shift is just tackling those feelings out loud and overtly. And I think a lot of times people will be very generous in terms of you know, um, kind of validating that and also offering some important insights for that too. I think that's a nice little reinforcement piece that kind of keeps Mm -hmm. you going where you're like, okay, at least I'm still trying. And, you know, that's cool even versus just sort of, struggling on your own and doing it how you think it should be, right? You, you're probably going to contact some backlash later on, if, especially if you weren't well-versed in how to handle that
0: situation. Okay. I, I, I like the piece of um, advice there and just being able to be vulnerable. It, I think it makes other people feel a little bit more comfortable to have some kind of like connection with you to be able to eventually like if necessary to provide some feedback, but it makes you human and seeing personable and just seeing like you want to learn and be present in that experience okay so miss anita i would like to thank you for joining me today um and being on shades of aba and just having this very like enlightening but always difficult conversation just about how people could be more inclusive and you know and support one another like as non black people of color as people and what we can do to encourage that thank you very much for joining us today
1: yeah thank you for having me I was really excited to do this podcast so I'm glad we made the time to do it and um, listeners thank you so much for listening to me I look forward to your thoughts and comments and I'll, I look forward to listening to more episodes of Shades of ABA.